Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Adiola Depot here. Thank you so much for downloading Fight Night Extra. Remember, we're here every single Tuesday live on TalkSport 2. Myself and the great Gareth A. Davis. If you can't join us live, remember to subscribe to the Fight Night podcast channel. So much other great content there as well, such as Fight Night, Fight of My Life, and even the Mike Tyson story, The Boy from Brownsville. This is Fight Night Extra on TalkSport 2. If you love your boxing and your MMA, this is the show for you. It's Fight Night Extra with me, Gareth Davis, and one half of the Fight Disciples, Nick Pete, where we discuss all the latest from the world of combat sports. Today we'll be hearing from none other than Eddie Hearn after the matchroom promoter made a rare studio appearance in Talk Sport. We'll hear what he had to say ahead of Anthony Joshua's comeback fight with Jermaine Franklin. We'll get his thoughts on the protracted negotiations between Tyson Fury and Alexander Usyk. And we'll get an update on Conor Ben's ongoing situation. Is he in line to take a sensational fight with Kel Brook? And we'll unpack Saturday night at the O2 with Nick as Leon Edwards retained his UFC welterweight title in his first defence. This is Fight Night Extra on TalkSport 2. Well, Nick, how are you after Saturday night? It looked like a riveting event and an amazing week. And of course, another seminal moment for British MMA with Leon retaining his UFC welterweight crown in London. Michael Bisping on hand there as the other British guy who's won the middleweight title, of course. You know, you and I have been around this a long time. It's lovely to see the flags get put in the moon, if you like. Yeah, it was sensational. You know, it was a it was a true seminal moment in the history of the sport here in the UK to have a you know it was amazing to have Bispin back in 2015 defenders belt in Manchester. We were there five six o'clock in the morning in front of a packed a packed home crowd, and it's a shame we've had to wait best part of seven years to see it all again. But it was it was a a magical occasion on Saturday night. You know, the roof truly did come off the O2. When Leon Edwards turned up and, you know, he was started as the underdog once again against Kamara Usman, the longtime champion. But he absolutely built on last summer's sensational head kick knockout with a wonderful game plan, a masterful performance and run away with a points decision to keep hold of his belt. Fantastic. We will get more into that uh, than unravel the whole night and the implications 
as we go on in the show. We're also going to be hearing today extensively from Eddie Hearn. We'll get his take on the Fury Usyk negotiations. Oh my God, have they been on off for too long or not? Let's see if we do get it over the line by the end of this week. I hear it is in the works, but let's be honest, you don't want to leave five weeks to sell out a 94,000 stadium and build what is arguably the biggest fight in boxing, the Blue Ribbon event. Um, what have you made, Nick, of, of how long it's taken for them to get to this point? I think it's absolutely insane. I don't know why they just haven't come out and, be, and been honest with the, with the fans and with Team Usyk and just say, listen, financially, this thing makes a lot more sense to happen at the end of the year in Saudi Arabia. I think they've backed themselves into a corner of doing it at Wembley Stadium. I don't think Tyson wants to do it at Wembley Stadium. I think he wants to get the, he wants to get the money this this fight kind of deserves, if you like. And I hate to make a, a business decision here because obviously I'm a fight fan. I want the biggest fights, I want the speed to happen as soon as possible. But all this messing about, I can't see it happening, Gareth. With just over five weeks to go, I don't believe we will be sitting in Wembley Stadium uh, for fight night on May 20th. Definitely not. Well, what we've seen is Fury strong arm power broke that deal 70-30, as we understand, certainly in public. It hasn't been confirmed contractually by the promoters yet. They may never confirm that absolute detail. But Alexander Krasiuk has been putting Usyk's side. Tyson Fury's outbursts come, I think, every time he hears from his own lawyer, uh, I imagine, on the contract. Um, for me, it's... I don't think they can wait till the end of the year. I have been very sceptical myself because of the timings and the size of the fight. Um, I feel like we've turned a corner with it in the last couple of days, but we are yet to hear. It's a very peculiar one. Um, on the surface, it looks like Usyk wanted it more now than Fury did. But, you know, goodness sake. There's an aspect to boxing that it was ever thus, that there, when it's money, when it's about money, it's so much harder to get over the line with these fights. And I think it's getting increasingly more difficult. Joyce Usyk, Joyce Joshua, Wilder Joyce, Wilder Joshua, Fury Joshua, Fury Joyce, Fury Usyk. There's, I think that was nine fights I just named then, seven or eight, nine fights. How on earth, with the amount of money and the amount of prestige those fights can't be made over a three or four year period, is staggering in its weirdness. And let's be honest, boxing is not doing itself a favour. We'll get into that more as we go on through the show. We're also going to hear from Cal Brook. I wrote his retirement piece just about a year ago, Nick. He rang me, we did a piece. Um, but I thought at the time... I can't see Cal not having one more fight. Well, he told TalkSport he'll be making a comeback from retirement. Thoughts? Um, listen, uh, judging by the latest headlines that he's made prior to the Conor Ben links over the last 48 hours or so, the headlines that were exposed in a national newspaper of him, um, you know, so supposedly relaxing with friends but being exposed. I think it's probably a good thing for him mentally to to you know get as much out of his career as he can if that's what's going to keep him on the straight and narrow. I'm a big fan of that. I'm not a big fan of his potential opponents, however, and that's Conor Ben because and we're going to talk about this extensively, I'm sure, in the next hour. Uh, Conor Ben, for me, needs to clear his name before he ever straps on gloves again, and I won't accept him just cra cracking on with his career while there's a massive question mark over whether he should even be inside the ring or not. 
there's so many big names that have tested positive for banned substance down the years. And, you know, one of those things is, you know, as, as, a, as a correspondent or a commentator or, or, a, or, a, or an analyst of our sports, MMA and boxing, you have to, you do have to forgive at some point, but you can't forget is the way I look at it, you know. And But the trouble is, there is no forgive on this one because nothing's been resolved. Um, and right. and it, I, do, I am troubled by it as well. And I do think the boxing water control needs to change its rhythms and change its, um, its detail on how it accepts other tests and um, not delay an act with alacrity, even if it's a VADA test or another testing body and not just recognise UCAD. That seems to be one of the issues here that went on. Um, but we need more alacrity when people are dealing with these things. It's not satisfactory. I know what you mean. It's almost as if the, they've gone down the non-strict liability route. They've taken that as exoneration and they're moving on. It's not satisfactory. It's not just about Conor Ben now. It's a much bigger story involving the whole of boxing. Obviously, we'll hear from Eddie Hearn, having been on the White and Jordan show earlier. Um, it was uh, a lot of shouting and talking over each other. Two massive egos in the studio, of course, with yeah. very strong views in Eddie Hearn and Simon Jordan. Um, but for me, the fact that Eddie Hearn has admitted today, which we'll hear later, that he he made errors in fight week, particularly on the Wednesday, when he said publicly that he was looking at his options. Morally, I think he's decided that that was the ring, wrong thing to do. And I'm very glad to hear that. And I hope he climbs down even further, Nick. Yeah, completely. You know, listen, I, we haven't heard from Meddy properly in so long. You know, he's done a couple of fluff interviews with employees of the zone and uh, various websites which he knows he can he can manipulate. Uh, so it was nice to hear him this morning on the breakfast show live and unleashed with Simon Jordan. Of course, as you say, it was it was a bit of a, a hard listen at times because they both wanted to get their points across. Well, I think Simon Jordan made some great points, uh, particularly regarding strict liability, which at one stage Eddie seemed to accept, uh, which for me is in evidence enough that at some stage Connor does need to sit in front of the board, whether he likes it or not, and Eddie needs to encourage that and needs to force that. Um, and I think he will then suffer as penance then, whether that's a backdated ban or whatever it may be. And then we can all kind of move on because at some way, shape and form, regardless of all the noise around this, Gareth, he has tested positive in two tests. You know, so unless there is some far bigger story in which the testing procedure is at fault and there was nothing in the system, which Ben was alluding to himself uh, on the Piers Morgan interview, then that's a much bigger story, of course. But until we see the 270-page document, until he sits down with the board, until we actually see some evidence to support that, then right now it's about strict liability. Conor Ben was found to have something in his system. He has to answer to that. And then we can move on. You're right. He's not the first boxer to test positive, and he certainly won't be the last. The difference is Canelo, Tyson Fury, Dillian White, the list goes on, but they all were served some kind of ban, suspension, they've done that and then they move forward. And it's up to fans then to either accept them or reject them. And Conor Ben needs to go through the same system. He can't just crack on because we can't forget. We'll get into Conor Ben more as we proceed. You're listening to Fight Night Extra on TalkSport 2. Still to come, we'll get more from Nick on Saturday night at the O2 Arena in London and a thrilling win for Leon Edwards 
over Kamara Usman it was. We'll also talk the return of Kel Brook and a potential fight with that man we were just talking about, Conor Ben. Next up, though, we'll hear from Eddie Hearn and in particular what he's had to say about Anthony Joshua's upcoming return and the negotiations for Fury against Usyk. And still the unified heavyweight champion of the world, Alexander Anthony Joshua, for some reason, had the belts in his hand and he threw those belts outside of the ring. I've never seen anything like that. Anthony Joshua's walking back to the ring. I'm not a 12-round fighter. Look at me. When you try and do things from your heart, not everyone's always going to understand. Oh, yeah, you don't throw combinations like Rocky Marciano. Because I am 14 stone, that's why. I'm upset. Oh. Going to be a tough defeat to take, but he'll be back. Joshua going to the body, looking to work the uppercut. It'll be silly of me to underestimate this guy. He's not a Rolex. Lift off for AJ! Every watch still tells the time and every clock still ticks. You're listening to Fight Night Extra with me, Gareth Davis, and Nick Pete. Time now to hear from Eddie Hearn, the Matchroom CEO who was in Talk Sport Towers just a little earlier today. A reminder, a week on Saturday, April the 1st, Talk Sport brings you radio commentary of former world boxing champion Anthony Joshua's comeback against Jermaine Franklin. Let's look ahead to the fight with DAZONE. TalkSport 2 Big Fight Build-Up with DAZN. Watch Joshua versus Franklin live on April the 1st only with DAZN. D-A-Z-N.com. The only place to watch Anthony Joshua. So, Eddie Hearn on White and Jordan earlier. Here's what he had to say on AJ versus Franklin. I'm a promoter. I'm hyping the fight. But at the same time, I am nervous about the fight. He's coming off two defeats, albeit to Alexander Usyk. We saw emotionally the position that he, he was in after the last fight because he wanted to win so badly. He's got a new trainer. He's taken himself to Dallas with a very, very small team to work his absolute socks off. You have to understand, like, sometimes the reason I speak so passionate about people, and, and the same with Conor Ben, is because I like them and I believe in them. They're people that are close to me, AJ particularly. Like, I take it very personally when AJ gets criticised because when I look at the resume and I look at his ability to make fights and his willingness to make fights, it really gets on my wick where he gets sort of overrun sometimes by fighters that want to speak on social media, which he never does, when you just have to look at his resume. It's definitely a rebuilding process. Joshua needed that. Three defeats in five fights. Um, I think the rebuilding is good. I think Anthony Joshua's got three or four huge fights left in him if he can beat Jermaine Franklin. I don't even necessarily think he needs to fight Dillian White. But I, those fights I mentioned earlier, Nick, Joe Joyce, Deontay Wilder, Francis Ngannou, Tyson Fury, what four huge stadium fights, in my view, if they can be made. But what he needs to do, doesn't matter how many people turn up at the O2 Arena, it'll be full eventually when he steps in there. It's the optics now on where his confidence is, three trainers in three of his last fights, where he is, where his confidence is. Can he do a number on Jermaine Franklin? Because people remember those viral clips. That's the sport we're in. Yeah, listen, I, I was I was very outspoken when the foot when the fight was first made. Disappointed that a guy that was undis that was the unified heavyweight champion um, 
felt the need to drop so far down the ranking to to rebuild his confidence. But hey, that must be where AJ is at mentally right now. Um, there's no shame whatsoever in losing back to back to Alexander Usyk. I thought his improvements in the second fight were there to all to, up for all to see. He was just beaten by a better man on two occasions, and again, there's there's, there's no shame in that. Usyk for me is the pound for pound best fighter on the planet. Um, what we need from AJ in April the first is a you're right, Gareth, a viral moment. You know this fight can't go past five rounds. He's switched to America finally, something which I've been very vocal about for many years now. I believe that was what was missing from AJ's locker, that eye of the tiger, going out to America, not being the 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 uh, the big attraction, not dictating what happens in training camps, not picking uh, the right the sparring partners yourself and choosing what time you train. You know, he's out there with with Derek James, who's a very established coach over in the US, who's already got a stable of world champions and and AJ will be part of fitting into that team rather than Derek James dropping everything to work with Anthony Joshua. I think that's a good thing. You know, Derek James, I'm led to believe, is choosing the sparring partners. He's choosing the sessions. He's dictating what goes on inside the gym. That's what AJ needs. You know, he needs to he needs to go back to basics. He needs to rediscover what his strengths are in this sport. And we all know what his strengths are. He's a big, huge, powerful, athletic human being. And he punches like a freight train. And he just needs the confidence to get in there and let his hands go again. You know, we've truly not seen him let his hands go since, you know, arguably the Andy Ruiz fight in New York, which he did look out of sorts in anyway. But since then, it's, he's tried to be safety first. He's tried to evolve like Lennox Lewis did and become a boxer. He's never going to be as 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 technically strong as Lennox Lewis because Lennox Lewis is probably the greatest British boxer we've ever had. He's a wrecking machine, and he needs to rediscover that wrecking machine form. If it, if it, if Franklin's what it takes, then Franklin's what it takes, and then I think next up we will see the the uh, the fight with Dillian White, or maybe even the fight with Francis and Ganu. Then twenty twenty four, we talk about AJ being a legit contender in the heavyweight division again. That's my thoughts, anyway. What what a what a shame that the the, the progress is so slow though. He hasn't fought three times in a year since two thousand and sixteen, just before he beat Charles Martin to claim his first world title belt, the IBF belt. And you look back then, and he didn't have, even though some people think he was still gun shy. Then I don't agree. One of the things I caught up with Franklin last week, by the way. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. as I say, that the fight is live on Talk Sport. Our commentary team will be there on the night and in, in, indeed in the whole week in the build-up. And Franklin, interestingly and rightly, told me how much he was studying the Andy Ruiz uh, New York Madison Square Garden performance because he's not a dissimilar size to yeah. uh, Andy Ruiz. And I'll tell you something about Jermaine. He's really got himself into shape since the Dillian White fight. I was live at that fight in November. And the danger for AJ is that Franklin's got a bit of a dig on him and he will exchange with you. That may suit Joshua as well. But I agree with you that he he doesn't want to let this fight go beyond four, five, six rounds. Even if it's a dominating performance for 12 rounds, people aren't going to be happy with that. They'll say if he knocks him out in four or five, well, he was a pushover anyway. But Franklin, remember, when he came to fight Dillian White, was 21-0 with 14 knockouts. This is a world title fight for him right now. His stock rose with that victory, uh, sorry, with the loss against yeah. Dillian White, even though a lot of people thought that he might have pipped that fight. Um, I said, I just thought Dillian White just did enough that night. But it's the mental ability to put the practice in place in the ring by Joshua, like you said, 
to get back to what he was. That is uh, really important. Well, that is one heavyweight fight that is scheduled to go ahead. Let's hear now from Hearn on the protracted negotiations between Alexander Usyk and Tyson Fury. Does he think the fight will go ahead in April? The numbers that Tyson Fury wants for that fight, they are so far away from doing it at Wembley. But sometimes with Tyson, he does the unpredictable. And I think, I'm quite surprised. It's only six weeks away. Like, mm. and, and Fury, but I thought there were times when Fury wouldn't fight Wilder and he did it. So I kind of think he snookered himself into a position where Usyk, and fair play to Usyk, by the way, has turned around and gone, yeah. Well, you know, Eddie's got his views on it. That's fair enough. Um, you threw scepticism out earlier, Nick. I was sceptical. I'm just hearing from both sides behind the scenes, and my instinct is they've gone very quiet for three or four days after Alexander Krasiuk was over here for four days, like the week before last. I spoke to him myself at length. I'm, I speak to Frank Warren. Bob Arum's been quiet. My sense is that the, and it's a spidey sense, if you like, that this contract is just coming to completion because they are foolish not to do it now, in my view, because this is the time. Two guys in their prime, both undefeated, huge money on the line, huge legacy, a fascinating fight. As you say, you rate Alexander Usyk as number one pound for pound in the world. I favour Fury to win this fight, but he might lose some of the early rounds. He's going to be at his, it's no foregone conclusion. I think Fury's got to be at his absolute best to defeat this guy. I see it as a points victory, or if he can grind Usyk down with his size and his weight and all those things, he could force a late stoppage. But he's got to put it on Usyk at some point, because the other heavyweights that have tried to do it have had success doing it. Whether the fight gets over the line, though, we're yet to see. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and I remain eternally sceptical about it. You know, we've only got five and a half weeks to go. Um, if put it this way, if I was booking a hotel, if I, if I was tickets haven't even gone on sale yet, Gareth. But if I was booking a hotel in advance of tickets going on sale, I'd make sure there was a free cancellation policy because a fight of this magnitude takes a lot longer than five weeks to sell. Um, and I think right now. Usyk wants it more than Fury. I, I think Usyk would, would genuinely take this fight. Well, he has. He's accepted this fight for a pittance. He's 30% is absolutely outrageous to expect a guy who owns three of the world title belts in a, in a four. But he accepted it. Why Dima. did he accept he's, it then? Why well, he's he accepted accept it for one reason, Gareth. His, his home nation is at war and he wants the biggest opportunity, the biggest media exposure possible to talk about that and to bring it to the spotlight. That's what he's using his his popularity and his fame and his sport and acumen for right now is to get as many eyeballs on him as possible to say, look what's happening in Ukraine, look what's happening in my country. And I truly believe that's why the fight is happening now. He's accepting a pittance against Tyson Fury when really what the sensible thing would be to wait for the end of the year. The sensible thing, wait until the Saudis come back to the table when it suits their, you know, their, 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 their tourism push. And and this pie would be way bigger. Should he have fought fact, Dubois say, now then? Should he have... Should he have defended his WBA title? Sorry to interrupt. Should he have defended his WBA title against Daniel Dubois for now? 
Um, well, if you're Alexander Usyk, no, because again, Usyk is pushing for the biggest fight possible, the most eyeballs possible. So that's why he's chased down Fury and, and backed Fury into a corner. I think ideally Tyson Fury would love to have had a, a defense. He would love to have faced Francis Ngannou at, at Wembley in, in five weeks' time. He doesn't want to face Alexander Usyk now because he knows the dangers of the fight. And he's looking at the money saying, wait a minute, I'm going to make probably less money fighting Usyk than I did defending against Del Boy Chisora when there was absolutely no risk on the table at all. But that's because he gave Del Boy Chisora crumbs and kept the entire pie for himself. This is different, of course, because Usyk does bring something to the table. He's managed to negotiate 70% of the pie. But I think the reason it's dragging on and on and on with no tickets on stale sale is because Team Fury don't want it. And I don't begrudge them not wanting it because later in the year, it's a financially a much bigger fight. They'll have two fights. Um, I think over the line, the contract will get a two-fight deal over the line because it suits both men. I think we will get that second fight in Saudi later in the year. They have to have a second fight because if we get a split draw, if we get a majority draw, if we get Fury winning on points just, but most people felt that Usyk won eight of the rounds, people will want to see it again. If it's a massively controversial fight, people want to see it. My belief is they will get a rematch clause over the line. They've got to, in my view, get a rematch clause over the line. And I think it'll come at the 11th hour in this contract. I think we will get a fight in Saudi later in the year. Um, listen, I'm as sceptical as you are deep down as well. And I have been the whole time. But I, you know, speaking to people behind the scenes, seeing the optics of Sugar Hill Stewart coming here with Lawrence Acoli and going to Fury's camp, like you say, is it all real? We don't know till those tickets go on sale officially. Um, I think they will sell it out very quickly. I mean, there were, yeah. what was it, four times the number of people wanting tickets. 350,000 people wanted tickets for last April for um, Fury against White. They won't have a problem selling it. But like you say, I'm concerned that Fury wasn't into camp soon enough. Usyk. Is a very dangerous opponent. And listen, yeah. like you say, we don't know, and this puts Anthony Joshua into context here as well, because fights that are made always create context. If Usyk defeats Fury on points, mm -hmm. it just shows where Joshua is, and particularly where he was in that second fight, where he was going well in that fight after nine rounds. It was a brilliant performance in lots of ways, an improved performance. Usyk's a very, very clever fighter. Belly is the word being used for a reason, in my view. There's a long, big torso to aim at that he can score a lot of points and win a lot of rounds with. It's a fascinating fight. It's never far... It, well, it's, it's never satisfactory when these fights are not being made. You couldn't do it in any other sport. It's, it's frankly <laughs> ludicrous. And uh, let's hope this thing does get over the line. Um, that was a look ahead to Joshua versus Franklin in partnership with DAZN. Stream the fight live on April the 1st, exclusively with DAZN. TalkSport 2, big fight build-up with DAZN. Watch Anthony Joshua live on April the 1st, exclusively with DAZN. Sign up now at DAZN.com. You're listening to Fight Night Extra on TalkSport 2. Still to come, we'll unpack UFC 286 in London with Nick. But up next, we'll hear from what Eddie Hearn has had to say about the ongoing saga surrounding Conor Ben and if he could fight Kelbrook, who's told us he's looking to come out of retirement. 
Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. In store, Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash retail 23. Shopify.com slash retail 23. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. I don't know what, I don't know what, what vendetta it is. Yeah, but it's are. like saying you're accused of killing someone. Okay, but I've, been massive... pro- but I've been proven innocent no, no, by you're... the authorities that well, run that test. I wouldn't say you've been proven innocent. I'd love to show this young Ben, you know, what time it is. You know, but obviously we've got to sit down with his boss, Eddie, here, and his manager and, uh, and come up with my service fee, which uh, is going to be quite decent, mate. He will fight in June. Whether that takes place... Under after or before a meeting with the British Boxing Board, and you're morally wrong to do it. You're morally wrong to do it because Simon, you you know why? How can you be morally wrong when I believe in him and I believe he's innocent and he's cleared to fight? You're listening to Fight Night Extra with me, Gareth Davis and Nick Pete. Let's turn our attention now to the ongoing Connor Ben saga. The welterweight remains unlicensed to fight in the UK following his failed drugs test last year, but has stated. He will look to continue his professional career outside the UK. Let's hear now what Hearn had to say about his future. Yeah, I do regret um, considering our options. I do, because I think the board made the right decision. I was a bit shell-shocked. All of a sudden, I had 100 cameras asking me questions, what are you going to do? And what I said was, look, the British Boxing Board of Control have told us they don't acknowledge VADA. They only acknowledge UCAD. He's had four UCAD tests in the run-up to this fight. Everyone is negative. And we need to consider our position. People say about my mistake of backing Conor Ben. I say this. I believe Conor Ben. There has been no benefit to me from a, a profile way or from you know, a perceived integrity position to back Conor Ben. It would have been so easy for me just to cast him aside and say, well, you know, after, I'm not sure, but I believe the young man. And I've stood Do you believe him still? 100%. Still? 100%. I've sat with him. I've sat with his family. And by the way, no one can criticise me for that. I've chosen to back this young man. I've taken flack. I've taken criticism. People have told me, don't do it. Distance yourself from it. Is that because you can't get out of it now? No. Mate, it would be easy for me to get out of it. I've done it because I believe in Jim. One thing I stand by is, I've had this young kid in my office three dozen times. I've had his dad in my office. I've had Tony Sims in his office. And I believe him. Well, let's react to what Eddie Hearn is saying there, first of all. I, I want to get your reaction because I was fascinated to see the climb down 
today from Eddie, by the way, that he regrets saying he was considering our options on yeah. um, on workout day of fight week for Ben against Eubank in the first week of October. That's the first time he said that. And I've tried to get him to say he to do a piece with him saying he had regrets. It's good yeah. to hear that because he can see that, but maybe doesn't see how the whole picture of boxing's been affected by this, Nick. Well, you know, let's be honest, himself and and, and Kalasowland uh, and the board with their part and and Conor Ben and, and and Eubank Jr. dragged the bo- dragged boxing through the mud in this country last year. It was absolutely horrific, you know. And um, it's nice to hear Eddie take some responsibility for that and and his role in it. I, I think he's got a lot more to answer, if I'm totally honest. But it, it was nice to hear him say, "Yes, he did make a mistake in that instance." I would like them to have said. You know what? I wish I'd just pulled it from day one, which was something Chime and Jordan was trying to get him to kind of get him to say. But he he kind of hid behind some litigation and said, oh, "I couldn't really, wasn't really in control enough to 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 pull the fight," which seems kind of preposterous. If a fighter pops off for drugs twice, that the the promoter can't even stop the fight from happening. So one question: well, I morally, think asked morally, another, it, even, morally, even morally, it's wrong. Yeah, exactly. It? You know, even, it, even if, what he blamed was. The board didn't come back for five weeks. That's what he's blamed. You know? Exactly. So so basically what he's doing is pushing responsibility onto the board rather than saying, oh, wait a minute, if if me as a promoter and, and Adi, you know, likes to tell us all he's the gold standard in this sport and that he and he's told us before how much he, he considers VADA the gold standard testing agency. So to dis, disregard their findings on the strength of Conor Ben saying Listen, boss, I'm not I'm not guilty. I've done nothing wrong. And then trying to crack on with the fight. And then ultimately when a national newspaper breaks the story, which is why the fight was cancelled in the in the final place, Eddie seemed to think today that it was him that pulled it. He only pulled it because it was become it become public news and everybody became aware of the fact that he'd failed two tests. That's why the fight was that's why the fight was stopped. But the, the big question here that still remains is has this ever happened before is an instance where fighters test positive for drugs and and eddie is who's contractually obliged to continue with that fight he's telling us has got no control to pull it or walk away from a fight so there's a there's so many more questions that require answers but you're right you know that there was certain elements of the conversation today i think eddie informed simon jordan and and, and put him straight on a couple of points as well uh but quite clearly you know the board. I've got some serious issues there. The strength of the board really must rely on the fact that they can govern this this sport truly in this country, and that is keep an eye on promoters, on fighters, on everybody that's that's got their hands in the pie. And quite clearly, the board don't have anywhere near that kind of control. So uh, there's there's a lot more to come out of this whole saga. But right here, right now. It was just nice to hear Eddie talking about it, addressing it. I know he was on to sell the AJ fight because tickets aren't, aren't going well, but at least he's confronting the conversation now. And the great thing, the best thing I took from it, Gareth, was that he said, I will never allow, uh, will never use another uh, governing body to put a fight on in the UK. I'll always be with the Board of Control. And also, he's adamant that he wants Conor Ben to clear his name with the board. Hopefully that means... We will pump the brakes on Connor's return anywhere in the world until he's actually cleared his name with the Border Control and we can move well, forward. I'm not so sure that is going to happen. I think they are going to have a fight abroad. Um, that yeah. wouldn't surprise me in the slightest. Um, whether he goes in front of the boards remains to be seen. There were 
as I said, as, as I said, there regrets taking uh, that stance. He was considering his options. I thought was interesting. Uh, the fact that he was saying at the time that the board don't acknowledge um, VADA findings, um, only UCAD. Um, he he said about Robert Smith, the the boxing board of control general secretary. They asked him what he was going to do about it, and five weeks later they've finally pulled the fight. All these things. I've heard all these things from him before anyway. I don't think we learnt a lot that was new because I don't no. think that... I think Hearn is, has his line and he's keeping to it. But what seems morally outrageous to all of us covering the sport is more that, or ethically outrageous, is that in an inherently dangerous sport, which you have to go back to in the cradle, you cannot allow... Uh, a testing procedure where your body is enhanced by anything that's in your system, knowingly or unknowingly, deliberately cheating or not, we need to have a duty of care for the opponent. And and it's so important. People die in the ring. They can be legally killed. Look what happened when Chris Eubank Jr. fought Liam Smith. If that had happened with Conor Ben in a in a in a really I just it's just unthinkable. I mean, I just remember on that Wednesday before the fight was actually pulled by the promoters after the board was said they are they would not license the fight. I was actually projecting forward to the Saturday, thinking, "Ugh, I don't know if I'll ever feel as uncomfortable at an event as that." Um, yeah. And and you just wondered whether you should have been covering it. And there's a sense of Conor Ben's been given a couple of outs in some ways. The the eggs didn't want to take that. I mean, I don't say given an out, but given a reason for why it might be in his system, if he truly believes it, what he didn't ingest it through a process of doing whatever he was doing. And, and mm-hmm. you know, he's maintained his innocence. As he Hearn says, I believe the young man. I know other people in the industry that believe him as well. But the problem is, Twice, clomiphene showed up in his system. I, I, I mean, VADA were exonerated as well in that WBC report that the testing process was not found to have failed. You can't, yes, you can attack the testing process, but we need the veracity of a testing process because what this sport is, which is to render your opponent unconscious. That's obviously boxing is an, is a martial art form as well. You know, it's a barbaric sport made beautiful. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's why we love this sport. It it, it has an extraordinary feel about it. We, we, we are deeply involved in it, but we, we, we have to try and be strong about the fact that when the bigger picture shows that a system is being exploited to try and get around it, we cannot allow it. And that's what we're, that's what I think we're saying. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. It's loopholes, isn't it? You know, regardless of how you look at it, everyone that tried to make this fight move forward is doing so because they're jumping through loopholes. They're using certain avenues and certain, you know, potential litigation moments to go, well, I couldn't stop it because of this. Well, I couldn't stop it because of that. Um, you know, Eddie's team today quite adamant that it was the border control and their dilly dally and their lack of decision making from the time they find out that he popped hot to uh, eventually pulling the card after it became uh, public uh, public knowledge. Um, he's blaming that as the as the reason why the fight didn't get pulled any earlier. But you know, Simon did ask him 
about about uh, litigation from either Connor's team or Matchroom or somebody involved in the fight towards the border control to keep their mouths shut. Something that the board themselves have alluded did happen. So. Unfortunately, I think everyone's got the stench on them. And, and as people who work in this industry, we carry a little bit of the stink as well because this was a fight that crossed over into the mainstream. Ben versus Eubank 2022, even though it's it was, you know, it was a cash grab, it wasn't a fair fight. It was one guy that's got way too much experience and way too big being asked to boil down to a massively unhealthy and very dangerous weight to take on a young man who, you know, had had something in his system, popped out in his system. So the fight itself was a complete car crash from start to finish. And I think it's highlighted to a mainstream sports audience that in, in this modern day, boxing is as broken as it's ever been. And that's really disappointing because we've done so much to clean up this sport. We've all been heavily invested in it. And we make these giant leaps forward with these incredible events, incredible shows, massive. You know, Gareth, me and you were covering this sport when it was world title fights used to be in leisure centers in front of 400 people. Now we're regularly selling on a Wednesday night. Stadiums. On a Wednesday yeah. night. <laughs> now we're regularly filling out football stadiums in front of 80,000, 90,000. We can't go back to the leisure centre days and it's moments like this when the sport's name is dragged through the mud, when the moral compass of the people involved in the sport is fully questioned. What would we expect the mainstream audience to do? They're going to run a mile because they, they're going to realise, well, they're going to think that boxing's as dirty as it's always been. And that is definitely not the case. Well, the sad note to finish on here is that Eddie Hearn said he expects Conor Ben to be out in June. And that is... I wonder how the world is going to react to that when he, when and if he does walk out um, in June. He wants him to fight in June abroad, he said today. Yeah. Uh, look, um, well, let's move on to a fight, a thoughts of his fight. It could be against Cal Brook abroad, by the way. Let's hear from Brook now, who has opened up on why he is looking to return to the ring and the difficulties he has faced since retiring. Since I've been nine years old. All I've ever done is gone to the gym and train and won so badly to become world champion and uh, live my dream. And I've conquered that, you know, I've been, been in with the very best and I've beat my rivals in the mere car. You know, I completed the book, you know, and uh, at that stage of my life, you know, I decided to retire. But, you know, people do, they do, they train you to become world champion, but nobody tells you how to deal with life after boxing, you know, after your life. You know, everything, what you give to the game. Nobody told you how to, to deal with this, you know, everyday life again. You know, because nobody's telling you to pony up and say, get down to the gym twice a day. You know, it's it's basically, you're on your own and it's it's been a struggle. But I found myself. It was well documented um, by powder on a table, if you like, um, uh, in an incident recently. Uh, Kel... Um, told me in several interviews how depressed he's been at times in his life. He was going to struggle. He's still a very young man, going to struggle not having his discipline in the, in the gym. Um, an extraordinary boxer, so talented, huge natural talent. Good for him to be back. Good for him to have an objective. But if it's going to be Conor Ben. It's going to be a very controversial event, isn't it? It's going to be massively controversial, you know, and and, and Kellum turns 37 uh, in a couple of weeks' time. 
Uh, you know, obviously the fight, if the fight does happen this summer, and as you say, it looks like the Middle East and, and Kel Brook or Manny Pacquiao were the most likely opponents. Manny Pacquiao is a lot older than Kel Brook. Um, it, it just shows you the level of opponent they're looking at. But Kel will be looking at there as a great way to redeem his career and, 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 and get, bring some positive press because, you know, anyone that goes into a fight with Conor Ben right now, regardless of where that fight takes place, is going to be the white knight. It's going to be the, the positive. It's going to be the hero in the story. And everybody's going to want Kel Brook to do a number on the, on the you know, in speech marks, the drug cheat, if you like. So um, I, I think that's why Kel Brook might be looking at it. You know, I, I don't like the fight of Cork, Kevin. Why would I? Kel Brook's 37 years of age. I'm all from staying and fit and I'm all from having some direction. But there's... There's far less dangerous opponents than Conor Ben out there, who's 25 year old, who is prior to his popping hot was ranked by the good world governing bodies, and as you know, with it, you know, climbing the mountain towards a world title shot compared to Kel, who has uh, you know looked past his best for a number of years now, and his last win, okay, he, he got a win last year, but that was over a very much a faded, a very much similar position, uh, Amir Khan. So uh, the fight itself, I hate it. Kel Buck being back in the gym and. Keeping his uh, keeping his, his nose clean, if you like, is a great thing. That's a good thing. That's a positive thing. But I do not like the fight with Conor Ben. But then again, Gareth, there's not a single fighter on the planet I want to see Conor Ben fight right now because I need him to exonerate himself. Yeah, I don't like the fight for Kelbrook against uh, Conor Ben. Um, I didn't really even like the Manny Pacquiao idea with Conor Ben, and that seems to be on the table as well. I think Conor Ben and Kelbrook generates more interest actually than. Conor Ben and Manny Pacquiao. I, I I don't think I'd ever say that, but but there you go. I mean, you know, Manny Pacquiao's in the exhibition bout realm, really, in my view yeah. now at the age of forty five. But like you say, it's going to be very controversial whatever they do with Conor Ben right now, unless they get him in front of the boxing board of control with that two hundred and seventy yeah. page report, and they go through the process. Then, in our view. And I speak for both of us here, as we've expressed today, he can move on. You're listening to Fight Night Extra on TalkSport 2 with DAZN. Stream Joshua versus Franklin live on April the 1st on DAZN. Sign up now at DAZN.com. Coming next, we're switching gears to talk MMA and a big night for Leon Edwards at UFC 286. You're listening to Fight Night Extra on TalkSport 2 with me, Gareth Davis, and Nick Pete. Nick, you were front and centre of this event, the first pay-per-view in the UK since 2016. I can't believe it's that long. Michael Bisping, Dan Henderson in Manchester. I think I was in your position at that point doing the TV stuff. It started at midnight. We left the venue at six in the morning. There wasn't a bar to be found, but there were plenty of cafes full of people chirping about breakfast, uh, around their breakfast, about another amazing event. How was the event, first and foremost? Absolutely tremendous. You know, the atmosphere was incredible. Um, the event itself, like, so, 
fantastic night for UK MMA. I think we only had one one loss on the card out of seven or eight UK fighters that were in action. So a wonderful night for the for the for UK MMA. But of course, it, the night belonged to Leon Edwards. Everybody was there to see Leon. You know, you don't even need to be a, a UFC or an MMA fan to have uh, seen Leon's head kick knockout of Kamara Usman from Salt Lake City last August. I was there. I was in Utah at cage side for that moment. And Leon was down on the scorecards. Went going into the fifth round. He absolutely needed a knockout. And with little more than 60 seconds to go in the fight, he delivers one of the greatest head kick knockouts in the history of the sport. Uh, knocking Kamaru out cold and ending this incredible run Kamaru had had in the welterweight division, a run that would probably get him into the Hall of Fame, regardless of what he does next. That's how extensive it was. But Leon took the belt and he came back to the UK and there was a lot of conversations about, was it a lucky kick? Was it a fluke? He was behind on the cards. And would what would be the story this time around, bearing in mind that they'd fought twice previously and over eight rounds, there's a strong argument, Kamaru Usman won six of those eight rounds. And that was the narrative. And of course, because of that, Leon started as a better underdog on Saturday night, but he told us all week. He told uh, the media, he told the fans, he told everybody that would listen that this was going to be a clinic, that he was going to put on a show for the home fans and he's going to show the world that that was far from a fluke last summer and that he's the best welterweight on the planet. And for me, he won all but one of the five rounds. I thought he was absolutely outstanding and he made Kamari Wozman look ordinary, Gareth. And that's a big statement when you look at the body where Kamari Wozman put together as champion. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And obviously, what adds to, I think, his narrative, what adds to Edward's narrative, uh, and it transcends mixed martial arts, is he and his brother and his family growing up until they were early teenagers in one single corrugated roof shack in Jamaica where they were in true privation. He's a testament, not just of survival, as he was in that second fight, grasping victory from the jaws of defeat and in life he's done the same and you know having been around him and his brother Fabian around the Bellator uh, scenario as well because his brother's a prevalent middleweight in Bellator and about to fight for titles himself two brothers in the two major organizations winning world titles would would just cap off what is an extraordinary journey by these two who are young men I would call them still I think the way he carries himself I've seen him grow I think in the last eight nine months as well he's not a guy given to 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 trash talk and being out there but he did a great job of it I thought in fight week you know head kick dead I love all that head kick stuff the 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 dream of all of that the projection of himself um i love the fact that he's kind of turning down what dana white the president of the ufc is saying next that it's got to be colby covington who's lost to kamara usman twice in in two prevalent contests for the welterweight crown and that leon's got half an eye after that sucker punch from jorge masvidal that there's unfinished business there and that he wants the winner of gilbert burns and masvidal but he wants masvidal you know that i think that's a pay-per-view event back in london as well let's get it on this is a time you know you know yourself you know we worked together for years for fighters only magazine you know years ago i i wrote about mma and the nationals were no one this was writing about it this is a a beautiful time to see the growth 
of mixed martial arts in this country. There's still a long way to go. And events like Saturday and stories like Leon Edwards, the Edwards brothers, helps to the sport to transcend into the mainstream. It's still, it's in the mainstream in a way, but in another way it isn't. And I think these are moments when I see it from back here, not from in the arena where you were working. It, it's, a, it's, it's a delight to see. They're all stages in the growth of the sport. Because as we say, first pay-per-view event for six years. What else on the card delighted you? Uh, the co-main event was insane as well. You know, it, it absolutely delivered. And that was one uh, the fans were absolutely ravenous for also. Justin Gaethje taking on Raphael Fazeev in the lightweight division. Gaethje, of course, is the former interim champion, two-time world title contender. Um, lost to Habib, lost to Charles Oliveira in recent years, but absolutely was under threat here by one of the new faces of the division. Raphael Fazeev is uh, this incredible a uh, guy that's based out of Thailand, this incredible Thai boxer, 300-odd Thai fights, comes over yeah. to M- MMA, looks completely and utterly formidable. His technique on his feet is just unbelievable. You know, we're, we're talking about him potentially being the best kickboxer in the whole sport across all weight divisions. And what a matchup it was because, as we know, Justin Gaethje, one of the most decorated college wrestlers in the sport, but chooses never, ever to wrestle. Instead, he fights with his fists. He fights on the feet. And that's why he's the human highlight reel. And on Saturday night, we were, the big conversation was, oh, but in this one, he will wrestle. You know, in this this time, Justin Gaethje will wrestle. No way. And Justin Gaethje no did exactly what he always does. <laughs> he kept the fight standing. He went toe-to-toe. And in the end, you know, for me, I had it really close until the last three minutes. I agree. The last three minutes yeah. of the final round, him and Rafa Fazeev went toe-to-toe. And Fazeev's striking was found wanting. Gaethje lit him up. Jabs, timing, timing. Cuts. His oh, timing is extraordinary, perfect. isn't it? Perfect. Yeah. Oh, incredible. When, when, it, when he's incredible. on, he, he, he's a destructive zombie, isn't he? He, 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 yes. when he, 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 he's almost impervious to, to, to reacting to things. He stays in the pocket so beautifully. I reckon, I know he was a brilliant wrestler. If he'd taken up boxing early in his life as well, absolutely, you know, uh, and he's a twin, he's got all these interesting, all his family work in the quarry in a, in a yeah. tiny little town of 10,000 people. He, again, extraordinary story. And he's going to be a social worker when he gives up. I, yeah. I, I, I once bought him lunch in New York, New York, and, and he had about 19 different plates, by the way. It cost me a couple of hundred bucks. But, um, <laughs> but, but, but it was so much fun sitting with Justin, who you would think is an absolute animal, but he is the consummate gentleman as well. Yeah. And, and he's one of the heroes of the UFC, the modern heroes. I hope he gets Hall of Fame induction very soon uh, once he yeah. stops. And I don't want him to go on for too long, by the way. Um, no, because he hasn't half taken a bit of punishment in showing us how brilliant he is uh, as a fighter. Final one um, before we just move on to Lawrence Acoli, who's defending his WBO cruiserweight title this weekend. Do you think it will be Covington next? And are you convinced that Conor McGregor and Michael Chandler is the right fight at 170 pounds? 
Um, in terms of what's next for Leon Edwards, I think it's a case of lining them up now. You know, a new champion in the weight division after Kamaru dominated for so long means that everybody's a viable challenger again. Nobody is off the table. I think the only one that's off the table is Usman because that trilogy is over. So I think Covington, Masvidal, Bilal Muhammad, you know, uh, Stephen Wonderboy, Thompson, Gilbert Burns, mm. line all these guys up for fresh opportunities. And funny you should bring up Connor there because... If Connor does return against Michael Chandler at the end of the year, and we're led to believe that will happen after they've finished uh, filming Tough, I think the 30th anniversary of the UFC is in November. So that would be a bit of a hallmark event. November that wouldn't the 3rd, I believe. Yeah, so it wouldn't surprise me if Connor returned there against Michael Chandler. And if and that fight's going to be at 170. And if Connor wins, Gareth, guess who jumps to the top of the welterweight contender crew? Because Connor McGregor, regardless of how active he's been, what he's been doing outside the sport, how long he's been back in a testing pool, all that makes no yeah. no doesn't matter at all. If he wins a fight at 170 against anybody, not, not it have to be Chandler, anybody. Conor McGregor jumps for the queue as a title contender. So Leon Edwards has potentially got that monumental payday ahead as well. And I tell you what, Gareth, could that be our first Wembley Stadium UFC event? I bet it could. Oh, I think they'll do it in Vegas and the Allegiance. They just, it's too much for America. Well, But what I must say about Conor McGregor is, I think he was in the wilderness for a while. And I think being on tough, and getting his mind back in the game now and having that period away, I'm absolutely delighted. You know, seeing him yeah. with Ariel Helwani on the MMA Hour the other day, we, we haven't seen Connor in a sit-down interview for a while. And I was delighted in the way he was. He seemed, he seemed very balanced. He seemed focused. He seemed on it. And I was so pleased because I can remember sitting down with him for BT Sport several times, making docs with him, and that sharpness... And that inspiration that he used to give off is actually back. And I am so pleased because they're all wasted years. As we know, they're wasted years at that age. And uh, look, maybe he has spun a few of his wild years just now, but him back in the sport is a brilliant thing. We've only got a little bit of time left, Nick. Brilliant stuff there on UFC uh, 286. Um, lastly, Lawrence Acoli in action this weekend. I'm going to put my neck on the block. I think he's the best cruiserweight in the world. I think he beats all of them. I, th I cannot wait to see him fight Richard Riakpour at some point. I think he beats Jaya Pattaya, uh, uh, Badu Jack, um, uh, um, Gulamirian. I think he beats all of them. He's, he's huge. He's got an awkward style. He's now sparring yeah. with Tyson Fury. He's got Sugar Hill Stewart in his camp. David Light at the weekend in Manchester. Um, Tell me about Lawrence Sicoli. Can he go all the way to cruiserweight, uh, through cruiserweight, all the way to Bridger and heavyweight and win titles as well? Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, you know, I, I personally don't recognise Bridgerweight. I think it's a load of nonsense, but I'd like to see him go from cruiserweight <laughs> up to heavyweight for sure. Um, I think you're right. I think out of the list you've just you've just rattled off there of current champions and leading contenders in the cruiserweight division, it's impossible not to put Lawrence Sicoli at the top of the tree. Uh, I just hope we get those unification fights before it's too late. Uh, because he is on a on a freight train headed towards the heavyweight division. He is filling out more and more every time you see him. And I think being around Tyson Fury and Sugar Hill, he's going to realise that the paydays are heavyweight are way, way bigger than the paydays of cruiserweight. And there's real opportunity there for him, especially with a former cruiserweight champion as the uh, as the three-time heavyweight champion presently. So um, I hope we get the React Poor fight 
later this year before he moves up to heavyweight. I think that's a sensational fight for British fight fans. But yeah, I think the cruiserweight division could explode over the next 12 to 18 months, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if Lawrence Coley was at the top of the tree. Well, we will be covering that fight in full, not with comms, but uh, Adam Cattrall and myself will be in the studio on Saturday night covering Lawrence Acoli's fight. Nick, it's been brilliant talking to you today. I do hope that that Conor Ben dossier, finally, just to cap off to how important this is with Eddie Hearn, having been in with White and Jordan, that that Conor Ben uh, document goes before the boxing board of control before we see him in the ring. You've been brilliant as always. Thanks so much. Uh, to Nick for joining us today. You've been listening to Fight Night Extra on TalkSport 2. Stream Joshua versus Franklin live on April the 1st on DAZONE. Sign up now at DAZN.com. That's it for this week. Thank you so much for downloading our Fight Night Extra. Remember, we're back every single Tuesday for more great content. And if you miss us, make sure you subscribe to Fight Night to catch up on all our other episodes. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify, in-store. Shopify POS is everything you need to sell in person. From payments to inventory, Shopify unites your sales into one commerce platform. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com retail 23. Shopify.com retail 23.